Good morning. Man, I'm glad to be here this morning with you all. I was, uh, I was supposed to preach on Easter morning last year, and I got really sick, and Randy filled in. And so he saw me this morning. He was like, you doing okay? Are we good? Do I need? I've got one ready. I'm not puking today, so. A few weeks ago, um, many of us were made aware of one of Seattle Metro's drivers, a guy named Eric Stark who was driving a bus on Lake City when a guy, not in his right mind, started shooting at people. And horrific tragedy of events that took place there. Two people lost their lives. Uh, two others were injured, and, and Eric was one of those. Um, he, was, he was shot through the, the front windshield of the bus. And uh, after realizing he'd been shot, he, he somehow managed to maneuver his bus in reverse, which they're trained never put the bus in reverse, and somehow he did, maneuvered the bus to Safeway, not, or it's a Safeway, to safety, and when he had stopped, uh, one of the remarkable things of the story is that he'd actually parked the bus in a bus zone. Uh, <laughs> that was one of the things that was remarkable about his story, but there's a, um, the Seattle Times interviewed him as he was recuperating in the hospital, and I have a, a clip of the, the newspaper, I'm, I'm just going to leave this up. Uh, for a while here this morning, so you can reflect on this. But they were asking him what went through his mind once he realized that he'd been shot. This is what he said. The first thing I, saw, I thought was, I'm not afraid to die. I'm a Christian. But I said to myself, I don't want to die today. So his second thought was, I've got to get these people to safety. And I thought, as I read that article a couple of weeks ago, I was like, what a beautiful summary of the good news of the gospel, right? Because of what Christ has done for us, because of Christ's death and resurrection, I'm not afraid to die. I don't have to fear death. And because of what Christ has done for us in his death and resurrection, I have to spend my life for the safety and health and blessing and shalom of others. Isn't that what this good news is all about? What does it take to be the kind of person who, when faced with a situation like that, or any situation, maybe completely unlike that, to be the kind of person who has this instinctual reaction? I'm not afraid to die. I'm a Christian. I think it takes someone who has steeped themselves in the truth of the resurrection, who has spent time reflecting and celebrating exactly what we're doing this morning, uh, praising God for the good news that the tomb is empty. So that in these moments of crises, that's what comes out of them. I'm not afraid to die. I'm a Christian. Well, welcome to Easter. It's good to be together. I'm really glad that you're all here. I love that we have a couple of churches joining together, just like we did on Friday night at our Good Friday service. Um, it's, uh, it's powerful to be together as brothers and sisters to celebrate this day, this good news. The new reality where everything sad is coming untrue. That's what the Jesus Storybook Bible says about Easter, that everything sad is coming untrue. There's a new pattern of life that gets established here at Easter, right? Life uh, up until now has been life and then death. But in Easter, it gets reversed. It's death and then life. This is the new pattern for those of us in Christ, right? Jesus is constantly telling his disciples, uh, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Death 
and then life. That's the new pattern, the new reality in Christ, because the tomb is empty. In our passage this morning from Luke 24, we encounter people like us that have a perspective on life that is what most of the world views life, that we live and then we die, and that death is the end. These were devastated, broken women who were going to the tomb this Easter morning, right? They were bringing spices and, and, and claws. They were going there to, to properly prepare Jesus' body for burial. They would had to hastily throw him in the grave on, uh, on Friday night because Sabbath was coming. So they had to go and they had to do things right. They were going to, to fulfill their duty out of their love for their teacher, to wash his body. But then, su- surprise, he's not there, right? The tomb is empty. And I don't know if you caught, if you have ears to hear it, the Bible is funny. There is humor throughout the Bible. And if you catch what the angels say to them, like it's cheeky. Uh, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living here? Uh, it's, it's like borderline rude, right? They're in, this, <laughs> they're in this deep distress and mourning, and the angels are kind of like playing with them a little bit. I love it. I think it's funny. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then the angels remind them of all the things that Jesus has said while he's been with them, of all the things that he promised that he would have to go through, that he must suffer and die, and on the third day be raised to new life. And there's this emphasis on must, that this is, this is not an accidental thing that's happened to Jesus, that he has been well aware of what was going to happen. He has been well aware of the plan, and he is fully bought into it because he knows that this is the way to bring salvation to the world. This is the way to express his love and his power so that the world could be saved. He's not the, the victim of tragic circumstances, the victim of, uh, you know, of, of things that are more powerful than him. No, he, he knowingly, willingly, lovingly gave up his life for our sake, for the sake of the world. So the women run back to tell the other disciples with this incredible, amazing news. Uh, and the women seem like crazy people to these disciples, right? The Greek, is, uh, the Greek word for what they were what the disciples thought they were talking about is, is idle chatter. It just is like, it's kind of nonsense to them. Um, and there, <laughs> there's a whole sermon here on the disciples' response to not believing these women, right? <laughs> um, and let it, yeah, <laughs> right? Unfortunately, that's not this morning's sermon, but that is a sermon. Maybe you can preach that one later. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but let it not be lost on us, right, that the first proclaimers of the good news were women. And let it not be lost on us on how radical that would have been in Luke's day. Luke is writing this gospel, right? He's, he's writing from long after this has all happened. He's looking back on these events. And the, the gospel writers are all in agreement. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them. It is the women who first appeared at the tomb, and it is the women who are the first to proclaim the good news that the tomb is empty. And this is remarkable because if you are concocting this story, if you are making up this story in order to convince people that somehow uh, this teacher you really loved was, was, had come back to life, but he really hadn't, you would choose a reliable source, like a man. <laughs> right? That, in, in this day and age, that's what you would try to do. You would try to convince people. 
And yet this is one of the things that convinces me of the veracity of the resurrection, of the truth of the resurrection, is that it's a surprising twist, that it's these women who come, and they're the first to bear witness to this good news. And Peter, uh, being Peter, right, and not being willing to just accept it uh, and being kind of impetuous, he gets up and he runs, right? He sprints to the tomb to see for himself. He needs to know for himself that the tomb is empty. And he finds it empty with the strips of cloth that Jesus has been buried with uh, just lying there by themselves. And he goes away. This is how our passage ended this morning, and this is where I want us to spend a little time uh, reflecting. He goes away wondering to himself, pondering, reflecting at what had happened. Uh, When I was in seminary, which is a a three-year MDiv degree that I crammed into seven, (laughs) because I became a doctor, you ask? No. Uh, No, I just took my time. I was working full-time here at Sanctuary um, uh, the whole time that I was in seminary through Fuller's Northwest Campus. And uh, part of my requirements for my, my MDiv degree was to do an internship, and I just got to do what I was already doing here at Sanctuary for my internship, which was wonderful. I got to lead worship, I got to preach on occasion, I got to care for people and do all the various things that a staff person at a small church does. Um, and that, got, that counted as my internship. The only thing that I had to add was a, a small group where the primary purpose was reflection. Right? Fuller was very big on reflection. Uh, and it can, it, it, the reason why can be summarized by this educational psychologist from the mid-20th century, this guy named John Dewey, uh, who said this, we do not learn from experience, but we learn from reflecting on experience. Does that make sense? We don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. And so Fuller, they wanted me to gain experience in ministry, which I already had. I was uh, on staff here. But more than that, they wanted me to reflect on that experience, to ask questions about why things went a certain way or what happened in this conversation or why did this go well, why did this not go well, to probe it, to reflect on what was happening, and through that, to grow, to learn. Uh, I'm, I'm not naturally wired to reflect. That's not my natural bent. Uh, my natural bent is to just kind of keep plugging away, kind of head down, straight ahead. Um, if there's a task to do, I'll do it. Uh, you know, I can kind of, it's sort of like Dory from Finding Nemo, right? Like, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. That's sort of how I'm naturally wired. Um, but I'm learning the value of reflection, the value of, of pausing and asking questions of the things that I'm experiencing, questions of my life. And I, I married uh, a woman who is wonderful at reflection and who stretches me and grows me in this way. In fact, that's essentially what she majored in in her undergrad degree. She was an industrial engineering major at the UW, and the little bit that I understand of what she studied, (laughs) it was basically looking at processes and situations and reflecting on how they could be better, right? Assessing, like, where the bottleneck was. How could we do this in a more efficient manner? It It was a degree all about reflection on reality and how to then... Uh, grow from that, how to make things better. Um, a great example of how this worked out in our relationship uh, is when we were dating, I had moved from a house that had a wonderful closet with shelves and organizers and all that um, into, uh, into Jeff. Where's Jeff? There he is. Into Jeff's house. Uh, in fact, 
uh, my old room is now Joshua's room. Jeff married my sister, and now my, my nephew lives in what I still consider to be my room. Um, <laughs> which, uh, and you guys can testify to this, which has the smallest closet in the world in, in that room. Because Jeff's house was built when people had two sets of clothes, their work clothes and their Sunday clothes. I didn't have a lot more clothes than that, but I had enough that they didn't all fit in the closet. And so I organized my clothes um, very differently than Marie Kondo would. Uh, with, it was the life-changing magic of random piles. <laughs> this is how I organized my clothes. And summer comes in, and this is where you know, part of my, my bent is just sort of making do. Right? That's, I, I can make do. I'll just keep going. And summer's like, no, this could be better. <laughs> they make furniture for this sort of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> And also, you're an adult. <laughs> so you should get one of those things. And uh, I did, and it was amazing. Life-changing, even. Right? So jumping back here to the value of reflection, um, we don't learn just from our experiences. We learn from reflecting on our experiences. And I imagine that that's what's going on here with Peter. At the end of this encounter, he has, he has just seen something that sort of blows up his categories for reality. Jesus had died was put into a tomb, and now, three days later, is not dead, and the tomb is empty. And Luke tells us that Peter goes away wondering about these things that have happened, reflecting on these things. And I think that that's the invitation to us this morning, to reflect, to be people who reflect and wonder, as Peter did, on what this means for us and what this means for our world. I kind of picture this whole scene playing out um, with different speeds of running and walking. So the women, on their way to the tomb, mourning the loss of their rabbi, walking, right, probably slowly, reflectively, sadly. I mean, they're, they're sad. But upon seeing the empty tomb and hearing the good news from the angels, I imagine they ran to the disciples to tell them the good news. And then Luke tells us that Peter heard the news, ran to the tomb to check it out for himself. But then as he leaves, I I picture a more reflective Peter, uh, one who's who's just in awe and trying to make sense of this life-changing reality that he has just witnessed, reflecting on what does it mean for him. The last time that we saw Peter in Luke's gospel, he had just finished denying that he even knew Jesus three times in a row. He hears the rooster crow, which he reminds him that, oh, yeah, Jesus told me that this would happen. He told me that I was going to deny him. I didn't believe him, but I've just done it. And Luke tells us that he goes out and he weeps bitterly. It's hard for me to imagine that as Peter walked away from the empty tomb that he wasn't thinking about that moment, that he wasn't reflecting back on his last, the last time that he was present with Jesus. Uh, as Jesus was getting questioned and Peter's out in the kind of where the servants were in the courtyard, denying Christ three times. What a failure, right? What, what shame he must have felt having been this uh, devoted disciple who in Jesus' uh, most difficult hour deserts him and leaves him. What does the resurrection mean to Peter in that moment, reflecting on that reality in his life? The next time that we see Peter, remember Luke, he not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts, as we see the early church start to grow and expand. And so the next time that we encounter Peter, 
in Luke's writing, he's beginning to lead this little band of disciples, the early church. He's starting to step into his name, the rock, on which Jesus would build his church. And the first thing he does is he kind of helps them navigate the leadership, right? They've lost Judas. Um, they need to replace Judas, and, and Peter helps them navigate that. Uh, then the next thing he does is he preaches at Pentecost, and thousands of people come and join the church and are uh, convicted by his preaching. Then Peter and John, they're, they're going up to the, the temple one day, and they encounter this man who's lame. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but I do have something. And what I have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he does. So there's this transition that happens from Peter's denial of Christ, this bitter tears of of failure and of shame that he feels, to Peter, full of the power of the resurrected Christ, telling someone who's lame to get up and walk. And by Christ's power, he does. And I I have to imagine that what happened in the in-between time there as Peter left the tomb was, was reflection on Maybe, maybe my failure no longer defines me. Maybe that's some of what the resurrection means for me. My denial of my Savior is not the core of who I am. Maybe when Jesus was talking about the forgiveness of sins to all these people that he healed, maybe that's for me too. Maybe my sins are forgiven. until he he comes to this point going up to the temple where he's aware that this power that raised Christ from the dead is also power that resides within him. And coincidentally, within you. Eventually, Peter died. And as tradition has it, uh, it's under Nero's persecution of the Christians in Rome. Peter himself was crucified, but not considering himself worthy to be crucified in the same way that his Lord and his master was. He asked to be crucified upside down. So be aware that the good news this morning of the empty tomb does not guarantee you a comfortable life. I'm not suggesting you'll be crucified upside down, but I am suggesting that in accepting the good news and believing the good news of the empty tomb does not guarantee us a trouble-free, easy life. But it does guarantee us, I believe, a meaningful life a powerful life. Ultimately, ultimately, a fulfilling life. And so Peter could face the persecution. He could face this painful end of his life with joy. And I imagine Peter uh, perhaps facing his death not unlike um, this bus driver face getting shot, right? I've seen the empty tomb. I'm not afraid to die. I'm a Christian. So what about us? How do we do this? How do we become uh, like Peter? How do we become people like Eric who, who instinctually uh, respond with this, I'm not afraid to die, I'm a Christian. Uh, we, we live in a world that seems bent on death and hate. And I, I don't know how many of you saw the news just this morning, but... Um, 200-plus of our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka celebrating Easter in their church uh, were, were, were murdered by a, a number of people who, who suicide bombers, and I'm not sure all the details, but um, in their moment of celebrating the resurrection, uh, 
um, met there the end of this life. And we mourn and we grieve that. How do we, how do we take this resurrection life and live it out in the world? Because the reality that, uh, you know, we, we come in, and today is a joyful day. Let's, let's not pretend. But it's also uh, a mixed day because it's like every other day. And we're excited it's Easter, and the songs have been joyful and good, but life is still going on, right? Um, we're still looking for work. We're still um, grieving brokenness in, in relationships. Uh, just because it's Easter doesn't mean that these things aren't happening in our lives. And so today is mixed, like every day. Um, and there are occasions where we, meet, we, we weep and we mourn, but, but I think as we become people of the resurrection, as we become people who uh, reflect on what this resurrection means, what the empty tomb means for us, we don't weep as those without hope. We don't mourn as those without hope. We understand that there's something deeper going on. As, as C.S. Lewis puts it uh, in the Narnia series, there's a deeper magic at work, right? This is from the voice of Aslan. That when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table, right, the, the, the way that the world works, cracks. And death itself starts to work backwards. Isn't that good? So perhaps as we enter into reflection upon Easter, reflection upon the empty tomb, perhaps for you that's reflecting back on your life, on your story. Perhaps like Peter, you look back and there's moments of deep disappointment, deep, deep shame for things that you've done, for things that have happened to you. And perhaps reflection on the resurrection this morning means that you begin to believe what Jesus believes about you rather than what these stories say about you. That at your core, in Christ, you are a beloved child of God. Fully forgiven, fully adopted into God's forever family. Maybe as you reflect, your reflections kind of point you more towards the future, right? And the anxieties of an unknown future. And maybe reflection on the resurrection means that uh, what you thought was the end or what seems hopeless um, actually is not the end. The, 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 the disciples thought that Jesus was dead and in the tomb and yet he showed them, no, death does not have the last word. What is the hope for the future that the resurrection raises up in you? And maybe for some of you, uh, the first step of wondering and being in awe of the resurrection is simply to say, I believe for the first time. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That death couldn't hold him. And that out of love and in his power as God of the universe, he conquered death so that I don't have to fear the end. I'm going to give us just a couple of minutes uh, to do that, to reflect on what this good news means for us this morning. Um, and I hope that this is just a foretaste of what can continue to grow in us as people who reflect, who wonder, who are in awe constantly of the power of the resurrection, the good news of Easter Sunday. So if you would join me in prayer, let's begin just by taking a deep breath.
Lord, perhaps we hear those words of, of Eric Stark, that bus driver, and, and we think, man, I, I am afraid to die. I'm not there yet. Perhaps we read the news and it, it overwhelms us with the hatred and the evil that is at work in this world. But we come this day hopeful and confident, mourning the loss of brothers and sisters, and yet confident in the truth and the power of the resurrection. That this day, as their earthly life has ended, uh, that their eternal life has just begun. Lord, shape us. Shape us into hopeful people. People who can walk through this world, walk through this life with the truth of the resurrection just always right there. That that becomes our filter as we talk with our neighbors, as we pour our lives out in the service of others, following your example, Jesus. And when we come to face our end, the end of our earthly life, Lord, make us the kind of people who can say with confidence, I am not afraid to die. I am a Christian. We need your help, Lord. We need your help to become those kind of people. So fill us with your power. Give us your eyes to see this world as it truly is. Broken, beautiful because you have made it, and deeply loved because you spent your life so that we might live. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us first. Amen.